Okay, everybody, welcome to another episode of Rocker Mike and Rob Presents. That's Rob to the left, and we have a special guest today, the winged knight of heavy metal, okay? The honorary, legendary oh. Rick Fox. I you thank you. I'm not legendary. I'll take yes, iconic. I'll take iconic, but not legendary. I, okay, then I'll <laughs> add iconic to that. All I, right. I, haven't, I haven't earned legendary status. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so it's great to have you here, Rick. Um, and uh, we're going to get into a lot of things here with you with your life. You've had a fascinating musical career. Um, Thank you. If only somebody I knew felt that way. No, really. Uh, <laughs> no, I mean, you know, I, I knew a little bit about you, but just you know, digging into everything, preparing for the show, I found out quite a few things I didn't know. And um, that's a funny line I quoted from the film Arthur when he falls out of the limousine. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> you know what I, I love that movie, and I should have realized what you were saying. That's that's a great line. That's yep. a great line. A great line. Yep. Yeah, I, yep. I, I, I tap a lot of films. Yeah, the remake did it no justice. You got to watch the original. Yep, yep. You know, it's like but um, Blazing Saddle for the first time. You're like, holy fuck, this is great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah, yeah. So, all right. So, you were raised in Brooklyn. Greenpoint, to be specific, I know the area very well. Yep, um, that's the Greenpoint is now like the well has been the new Bohemia. It, you know, it started in Williamsburg, uh, and yep. I was actually living on Havemeyer Street in the very early '90s when all that was happening. And hey, uh, Havemeyer Street, Mike, what, what, can what? you move to the side a little bit because your face is blocking? If you see, yeah, right, perfect. Okay. There we go. Beautiful. Sorry. All right, so, keep going now. <laughs> I yep. was I was living down there when all that was starting, you know. So I, I saw all those people coming in in droves, man. It was, it was amazing. Well, they all, the, all the all the rich hippies coming in and and uh, renovating all the old uh, the dock front buildings and yep. Yep. all of that, you know, all about the waterfront, and then it's starting to develop all of that. And then next thing you know, it's like uh, two broke girls everywhere. Yeah, and nobody can afford to live there. Nobody, you know, nobody can afford to live in the area anymore. Pushing out the middle class, working class people. Greenpoint's always been a you know Polish neighborhood. Okay, obviously your background. Yeah, and um, you know I always liked the area. Um, Look what they did in Red Hook. Same shit. Red same Hook thing. Valley, same can't thing. Even afford it. Red well, Hook we, used to be we, we had to, and you will go there. Yeah, we had Italians in, in Greenpoint, too. And it wasn't just, I mean, it's predominantly yes. Polish, but we had, you know, a mixture there, you know. Sure, sure. Now it's a mixture of people from uh, California, uh, Wisconsin, Minnesota. You know, yeah, it's, Minnesota, yeah. It's all you got. It's it's just people not from New York. That's all the city is now. But yeah. in your time, in your time growing up, when you were a teenager, I guess that would be the early 70s, uh, you you know, it was quite different, uh, working class neighborhood. And you had an interest in rock and roll, but also photography, I understand. Is that correct? That, that's true. When I, uh, <clears throat> when I got into high school, um, my, my dad got me a camera, German camera, which is like, was, I don't know if it was top of the line, but it had great, great lenses on it. Right. And I had joined the, um, I joined the photography club in high school. So we're like, we're talking like 72, you know, uh, Bishop Lachlan over in, by Fort Greene. Right. And, right. uh, and there's a giant Rob hand on the screen. There we go. There uh, we go. So, so I joined a photography club, uh, amongst all the other art courses that I could take in the school. 
And that gave me access to all the film I could get my hands on for free. Awesome. Which, which was which was great. You know, all the developing uh, uh, chemicals, the lab in the, in the school, everything. So I was like a shooting fool. I was taking pictures, everything I could think of that would be make an interesting framed subject. Yeah. And, and um, once I started to find out about the rock clubs, I'd go take the camera with me. I'm still underage. I'm, I'm, I'm in high school. Sure. But, you know, if you dress like the bands do, dress kind of flashy, mm -hmm. they think, you know, you're, yeah, you're, you're a supporter of the scene. It was, yeah, they, it was easy they, to get in. It's great camouflage. And I show up with the camera and they go, well, well, let's see your ID. And I, I somehow, I think I, I somehow made up a fake ID. I don't remember what it was, but, you know, I said, I'm here to shoot the bands. And they went, oh, okay. So like that, and come in and I would shoot, you know, the brats and, and, uh, yeah. and the bands playing Coventry and stuff like that. So, yeah. I was I was gonna bring up Coventry because it's just a hop, skip, and a jump over the Greenpoint Avenue Bridge right over there into Sunnyside. Yeah, right. Your, so your your audio sounds like Darth Vader right now. Oh really? Okay, yeah. we'll come back. But um, so you were hanging out at Coventry, and obviously uh, one of the most famous bands to get a start there was Kiss, and uh, I know you have a strong connection with that band. Yes, I did. Uh, I lived on North Henry Street between mm -hmm. Nestor and Norman Avenues. Right. And out of Williamsburg, Peter Chris's family moved in. Right. They were, they were around the corner from me on uh, on Monitor Street. And the thing in Greenpoint is almost every corner has a bar on, on the corner. It's still like that. <laughs> yeah. It's still like that. They, they lived upstairs over a bar, and, and they didn't have a backyard. If you go out their kitchen window, it was like a, a paved roof. Yeah, and and that was over in the, over a bunch of car, uh, parking space structures, one level parking structure under below that. So that was kind of like their backyard was out on the roof, and uh, and and if we go up the ladder on a second roof over the the, the whole entire building, uh, Peter's father had a, a pigeon coop, and you know a lot of old Italian guys they raise pigeons. Sure, yeah, you know, and he'd go up there and eat pigeons and fly around for half an hour, and then he'd, he'd come back, and you know that was his hobby. And, and so that's where they lived was around the corner. And I used to see uh, Miss Criscola walking back and forth up and down the street. And when they go grocery shopping with the girls right. and they didn't look like they fit, you know, they stood out from, from what their everybody else in the neighborhood looked like, you know? Okay. So, uh, and I mean by that, I, you know, the girls wore, you know, their tight t-shirts and tight jeans and, you know, other other people our age in that neighborhood didn't really dress like that. You know. Yeah. yeah. So, but but every time they went by, Mrs. Criscola would. She, you know, if I'm, in, I'm in the airway, in the, the gate area in the front of my house, or sitting on the stoop. You know, she'd go by and she'd go, "Oh hi," you know, like that, real polite and nice like that. And, and it was a while before I actually even approached the girls to talk to them. They they'd be playing ball with them by themselves down the street on the corner. You know, and, and so one thing led to another and we broke the ice and conversation and yada, yada, yada like that. And then uh, I started hanging out with them, you know, and they said, yeah. well, our, our big brother, Peter, he's a rock star. You know, Whoa. well, P Peter, at that point, uh, was he was Kiss started yet or he was he was in his earliest stuff? No, uh, he, Chelsea. He, right? he, he had just come out of Chelsea. OK, uh, they gave me a copy of the album. And uh, they were kind of like a heavier version of the Grateful Dead, I guess. Uh, yeah, I've heard some of that stuff. There was a lot of exploratory, you know, uh, uh, jamming and stuff like that on there. I mean, I like the songs. So I like some mm -hmm. of the stuff. It, you know what it reminded me of? 
is after Blue Cheer, which was one of the loudest bands in the world, right. Blue Cheer all of a sudden changed their 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 uh, whole formula, and they started to sound like the Grateful Dead. Yeah, they did. And That's some true. of the stuff on the Chelsea album reminded me of Blue Cheer when they went for the Grateful Dead route, hmm. like that, like you know, Valley and. If they didn't really have the, the, the techniques where they record hard rock now back then, it was everything was all different. So when they tried to play hard rock, it, it sounded like a, a an amateur band trying to, in my opinion, trying to play hard rock. If they were a good band and everybody was musically great, uh, uh, Peter told us that him and, and Mike, his, his bass player, they were like a machine. Yeah. You know? But uh, what happened was, I guess they were at a party somewhere and, and Mike committed suicide. And he jumped out a window, and that hit Peter pretty hard. He was—he never really got over that, you know. Yeah. So, so that was him just getting out of Chelsea, but he'd come over and visit, you know, his his his, uh, his parents and, and whatnot, and I, that's why I got to meet him. And sure, the guy looked like he was right out of Rolling Stones. He he, he loved John <laughs> Lennon. He, he loved the Rolling Stones. He was he was yep. a rock star. Well, how long until Kiss was getting together at that point? Maybe a few months, a year? Well, uh, that'd be, be like between 72 and 73. Okay. I was, so. I was going from a, from a sophomore to a junior in high school. Mm -hmm. And um, he had put out the ad in, in Rolling Stone and, and Village Voice saying drummer willing to do anything to make it. Right. And then that's when Gene and Paul saw his ad and called him up and and so the three of them were, were jamming together, you know, uh, or playing together out there at their loft. Wow. Now, speak, speaking of, of lofts, uh, I know you went to a lot of gigs, took a lot of pictures. Were you at the famous first New York City gig by Kiss at the Bratz Loft? No, I missed that one. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I, I saw the I was, flowers, but I didn't go. Yeah, I was I was very good friends at Rick Rivets, and he used to talk about that gig a lot. Yeah, uh, Rick, Rick, Rick was a friend of mine. Yeah. Yes, Rick, yes, yeah. yeah, very good guy. I miss him a lot. Yeah. Um, you know, and at that time, seventy three, you still had the the Dolls, the Brats was starting, Kiss was beginning to rev up, um, and then soon after that, the punk scene. Now, what 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 was your opinion of the punk scene when it started? Were you into it or no? Uh, not I what not particularly. I mean, I was friends with the Ramones, but mm -hmm. uh, I mean, we were all friends with each other in the club scene, you know. Yeah. So uh, we all supported each other. But <coughs> punk wasn't something I was uh, overtly into. Uh, when I got into the Martian rock band, we were part. Looking back, we were part rock. I guess part punk. Uh, um, Sebi our guitar player he, i said what how would you classify martian rock band in the time of of maxes and cbgb's yeah we were a space band and we were a punk band he says we were a spunk band <laughs> <laughs> that's a new genre right there i never <laughs> that just got invented that's funny yeah hey, Mike, so, hold so, on. rick I heard that you were like a big uh, Steppenwolf fan. That's what really got you into the whole business. That's true. Yeah. Uh, before MTV and before a lot of the, all those kind of shows, uh, when I used to go visit my mother out in Long Island, she had a house in, in um, Long Beach. Mm -hmm. and, and they used to play this stuff like from two in the morning on till, I don't know, four or five in the morning. One of the, the shows was called The Now Explosion. Now and they would show uh, videos. Some were some were rock, some were 
just uh, thematic, uh, con- conceptual stuff yeah. to, to whatever the songs were that were like on the radio, but it was in a video format. And and so I started to get hip to listening to this stuff. My mother had a huge rock uh, uh, album collection. Really? Because, yeah, because um, the guy she married uh, 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 the second time after they split up with my father, I'd go over for visitation rights, you know. Yeah. So, so uh, um, the guy that she married, John Knox, was a partner with his his partner, this guy Dean, and they owned and managed two rock clubs out in Long Island. Wow! And and uh, uh, what the hell were they called? The Timothy Tubbs Loaf and Tankard, I think, was one of them. <laughs> Long Island That's Long Island amazing. clubs had names like that. Yeah, uh, and and the other one was Dean's College Inn. And they managed two rock bands. One was Liquid Smoke on Afco Embassy, and the wow. other was the Unspoken Word on Atco, which was Atlantic. Yeah. Both both bands were fucking great. Really great for their time. They were they. Uh, Liquid Smoke did the first uh, cover of 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 uh, Hard to Handle that oh, I've ever heard wow. before. You know, decades before the Black Crows. Right. Obviously, yeah. And a lot of bands back then did a lot of covers on their albums. You know. Yeah. So, like that was an accepted thing. The Beatles started recording, you know, other people's material for their early releases. Yeah, so I mean, the Beatles I mean, did covers, yeah. Yeah. So my my mother had this this huge record collection. And I started listening, uh, uh, The Doors, you know, and and uh, um, whatever other hard rock stuff they had, in, you know, in her collection. And that's how I kind of got exposed to it. Uh, and one day I'm, I'm watching. I don't know if it was American Bandstand or uh, uh, Hullabaloo, one of those 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 rock shows. And yeah. Steppenwolf, Steppenwolf came on. Fantastic. And I and I and and of course John Kay's wearing his black leather and sunglasses. Yeah, sunglasses. And yeah. I always said John Kay looks like he he sings like he's the tallest guy in a short room because he's always bent over. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, right, <laughs> bent over the mic. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Long before <laughs> long before Axl Rose did the serpentine thing, yeah. John <laughs> John Kay was doing that. That's and true. So so, so uh, their bass player Nick Saint Nicholas. He's got this blonde curly hair and a, a, a buckskin jacket with fringes on it and leather pants. And he's playing a Rickenbacker and he's just kind of like, you know, like that. I'm like, wow, this guy's pretty cool. I, I think that's what I want to do. I, I, I want to be a bass player like this guy, you know, and that's how it started. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's awesome, man. Now, when did you get the band Sin together? Sin came out of two, out of another band. Uh after the after the Martian rock band folded, mm-hmm. uh, we played like I said we played Max's and we played CBGB's. We played uh, a couple other places, and um, uh, I got contact. Oh, you know, it, was, uh, it seems like my default thing every between bands was I'd go back and I'd be working down in the village on Eighth Street. Yeah, for people who know where that is, uh, right right next door to Electric Lady Studios. There yep. was like this, wow. this little. Th- there was a theater, <laughs> a little theater. <coughs> Excuse me. And then right next to that was this clothing store, and I was working mm-hmm. in there. Right. Uh, I think it was called Lady Arrowsmith. And in walks these these people. It's a rocker guy with his girl, his girlfriend or his wife, whatever. You know, and I got the hair, I got the look, you know, the whole do and whatnot. Right. You know, I, I definitely look like a rocker. So that's that's an icebreaker right there. People start having a conversation. Sure. And uh, I says, what are you doing? I said, I'm a bass player. And he goes, oh. And he looks at the girl. She looks at him like they knew something, you know. And, and he's like, well, you know, our band's looking for a bass player. 
this is the start of where I find myself every almost every band I was in, I was replacing somebody else's bass player. You know, <laughs> their guy their guy was doing the job, but for whatever reason there was something missing. And then people would walk into my life and go, Well, why don't you come and play with us? And I'm replacing all these these bass players. Now it's you know, not a bad job. <laughs> well, thanks. I, I, I mean, I wasn't that great. I was still still kind of new. Uh, I, I had no formal training. I, I couldn't tell you A from F from from. You know, I play the records and I try to you know learn to yeah. play playing play along with them. Right. Yeah. And uh, so this guy contacts me and he says we we set up a, a an audition in, in Manhattan. They were a band from Jersey uh, called Virgin. Virgin, yeah. And and he set up an audition in Manhattan on neutral ground. Uh, I didn't have a car to get to Jersey. Yeah. So so uh um I go in the bathroom. I'm kind of like, you know, getting doing my hair thing like that. And in right. walks this in walks this guy. He's like six feet tall. He's wearing platforms, even tall. And he's putting on he's doing eyeliner and he's messing touching up his hair. I don't know that it's the singer from the band that I'm about to audition for. <laughs> <laughs> And I, and I got kind of a little nervous because he's a little too close to me. You know, I don't know what this. No, is. Yeah, you don't know. Yet. <laughs> I don't know what his intention is. He looks like Bowie, a little bit like Bowie. You know. Yeah, you know. But but his his look was polished, you know, like that. And and we, you know, a couple of small words here and there, blah blah blah. And then he leaves, and then I walk out, and I go into the audition room, and here he is. He's the singer. <laughs> wow! Wow! So, so uh, uh, that was Ian Chris, who, who later on went to, to to play with a band called Foxy and. Now he's with Rock Candy, yes, and, and like that. So Ian, Ian gave me my first break. Well, my second break. Sebby Castle gave me my first break with the Martian Rock Band. He was patient. He taught me stuff, you know, uh, um, uh, and that that helped a lot. So I'll go and audition for for Virgin, and it's like you know Alice Cooper, Kiss songs, you know, it's all glam cover stuff, right? And um, I guess by the end of the audition, you know, and then like and like. I mean, Ian's a seasoned pro. I hadn't played Jersey clubs yet, you know, and, and I'm playing and the guy comes over to me and he's, you know how in, in his, like, uh, um, Gene would go over and straddle Ace's legs when they're playing. Yeah. You know, like, like Ace would be playing like this and then Gene would come over right. and be exactly. like, right. yeah. yeah. Ian was doing stuff like that, and I'm kind of freaking out because I don't know if he's going to make contact with me, you know? Yeah. <laughs> you, weren't, you weren't used to that. Yeah, no. <laughs> so, um, Anyway, the audition went okay, and then uh, from what he told me, he says the guitar player don't want you. He goes, but I want you, and my 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 voice overrides everybody else's. So okay. he told the guitar player, I don't care, do whatever it takes, teach this guy. I want him in the band. Period. That's it. Oh, it's not open really? to discussion. So I guess whatever it factor I had got me in the band, and they were driving from Jersey, and the guitar player he was driving up from South Jersey, from like the shore. That's pretty far. Yeah, and they come over to my house in Brooklyn down the basement, and they would teach me all you know, the songs and stuff. So uh, that went on for a little bit until they they showed me where they they had a um, a rehearsal studio in a garage in Belleville. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I'd have to go into to the to the, the path train, and they could pick me up at Journal Square, and then I don't know about fifteen twenty minutes into Belleville, yeah. and there was a rehearsal studio there, and I was rehearsing with them there at that at that location. Uh, you know, until I started having uh, internal struggles with their other guys in the band and whatnot, but they had me come in and replace that bass player. And uh, we did a, We did a few shows uh, as Virgin. We played uh, uh, the, the the Red Fox Inn. I think it's down in Brunswick, not far from Emmett's. 
Yeah, yeah. Or, or I got we played Mr. L's in Bayonne. We, we you know we try to we kept it not well. I don't say we keep it local, but uh, you played Stone Pony. No, not, not with Virgin. Not with Virgin. No, no. Uh, and I had a I had a drive with whoever was had a car, and I didn't really have a way to get my amps around. You know, yeah. I had, a, I had an SVT after a while. You know, so yeah. uh, and I didn't have a car, so that kind of put a a, a, a crutcher on it. But um, there the the guitar player's brother was the drummer, and he worked in a like in a bank during the day, and he used to wear a long hair wig for the gigs. He mm -hmm. says, well, "I'm tired of this. I can't keep getting up at, at you know after the gig at four in the morning. And I get two hours sleep. And I got I, I got to quit the band." So we quit the he quit the band as we were called Lust. Virgin changed to Lust. I Virgin said, became Lust, right? Right. Okay. I, I told I told Ian every time we we, we change members, it's like is it the same band or are we going to be a new band? You know. And, and you were and, doing the same songs and everything. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, uh, but you know, and 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 the the California ver band Virgin didn't know what we were we were using the name before them. Oh, see, Bill Coin, Bill Coin. Bill Coin was managing a band in California called Virgin. He used to open up for Sean Cassidy. Oh wow! Okay, that but, I didn't wow. know. Wow. Yeah. So we were we were using the band name first. They were already established. There was a picture of them on the down at the Jersey Shore on the boardwalk in Roxy Magazine, like that, you know. And and they had an Alice Cooper show with the Snake. Mm -hmm. uh, we did Bowie. We did Demonte Hoople. All the all the glam stuff that was coming over from England. That's what we Good did. Wow, That's some of my favorite Hooper. music. I mean, and and you play huge platform boots. You know, we had all of that. That looked up. So um, it was a guy that I knew from Max's that I I hung out with. It was a drummer from Queens, uh, Stan Bissell. And and he went by the name Basil Stanley. He was friends with Gene and Paul from the college days when they were all hippies. Yeah, wow. you know. And and I said to Baz, "Hey, you know, our band could use a drummer. You want to join?" And so he came and auditioned, and he got the got the gig. So now I have a ride coming in from Queens, stopping in Brooklyn, pick me up, and into Jersey. A little bit easier, definitely. So that worked out. Yeah. So yeah. so uh, by late '76, early '77, uh, I came up with the name Sin. Now there was no there was no way to check, you know, the internet back then. It was no internet, oh, yeah, right? No right. It was so nobody else was using the name. So I drew up a logo with a snake, like an S, yeah, uh, and an apple with a bite as the eye, like that. And we were playing with the with the the biblical version of of sin, like that, because it's, temp it's temptation. That's what we were. <laughs> yeah. Right yeah. Gotcha. And that's when that's sin was born, seventy seven. And then by that time. We'd moved over to the, there was a, a famous uh, rehearsal place called The Bank in Jersey City, right off right off the water. Okay. As soon as you get off the path train, the first stop, you get up, walk upstairs, walk across the street, and there was this old bank. Mm. And it was full of all these, in, you know, lofts or, or big giant rooms that were all abandoned. Yeah. And bands were rehearsing in this bank. So that's where we rehearsed. Like that. And and that's that's kind of that's where sin started, you know. And we were, she's we played we played Jersey. We played. Uh, we were the last band to play the Rolling Stone Club in the Bronx. Oh wow! Okay, we, wow. We, we, that we was a famous there. place. We played there. Uh, yeah. We played the show. We played the Chatterbox. I think it was the Chatterbox. At one point, we swapped sure. drummers. A, 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 the, the singer came in who also played drums, and he, his cousin played. The female lead in Sergeant in the Sergeant Pepper movie. Okay. Oh, God. So, yeah. The one, with the, the one with the BGs in it and everything. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. She, oh she, man. She, she, oh, Sandy God. Farina. Wow. She played Sandy Farina. Uh, yes. 
And so we, we got a gig down at the Chatterbox down in, in, in on the shore. And who shows up at our show but but uh, uh, Mighty Max Weinberg. No kidding. From from Springsteen's wow. band. Springsteen's band, yeah. Right. And we invited him up if he wanted to come up and play play a set with us. Now he had he had no idea. We had a Rolling Stones medley. Okay. He had no idea of the changes, where the cues or anything like that. He got up and, and I, I played with Max. Max, I played with Max fucking Weinberg, like like as if we had to play together for years. He followed all the cues like bam, 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 that's, bam, bam. So that wow. was my first, first time. A, that's when you know you're playing with a pro. Yeah, and and I, uh, you know, I'm no Will Lee. You know, I wasn't. I'm not like you know Mr. Adept or anything like that. But that's the first famous guy I ever played with. Was yeah. was was what Max wow. Weinberg. Right. You know, so. that's that's impressive. Well, it's uh, and I'm standing there with my jaw open while I'm playing with Max freaking Weinberg. <laughs> yeah, wow. that's that's amazing when that kind of stuff happens. Just to just as a side note, I mean, even like uh, like my buddy Rick Rivets, your buddy. Yeah. Uh, you know, he he had a story where he uh, played with um, one of the guys from the Animals. Mm-hmm. Okay, you know, and he just says, "I couldn't, I couldn't believe I was playing with that guy." You know, I mean, it's just he was just blown away wow. by it. It's one you of know? those those pinch me moments. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, I mean, that that happened years later when I played with Sam Kennison. Did you really? <laughs> yeah, wow! No shit. Uh, my, did, did, did you do wild thing or something with him? What you that's, do? That's exactly what we played. <laughs> yeah. Uh, my, my manager, my manager at the time, I had a band called Thunderball. Uh huh. And my manager called was managing Randy Hansen, who does the Hendrix tributes. Right. Oh, wow. Okay. So and Randy Hansen, it was Sam's guitar player for Sam's band. See, okay. so when, when when Sam's doing Vegas or whatever his show, Randy is yeah. his main guitar player. Right. So Kenny Rubin calls me up and he says, Hey, do you want to jam with Sam? I said, Sure. He goes, Get down to the China Club right now. It's just like Sunday afternoon. Okay. Holy shit, the China Club. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I haven't thought of that place in a while. So I get okay. down there and, and they're there. They're, you know, it's early afternoon. And he said, You know, you want to play the early show or the late show? I said, The late show. And he said, Okay. So, you know, we're hanging out downstairs in the green room and the bar and like that. And they did the show and then it was an intermission. And then little by little, people started to go back upstairs. I, I must, I lost track of. I don't know what was going on because I hear the band through the floor, like I hear the, you know playing upstairs. Mm-hmm. And I'm going, well, I'm supposed to be up there playing right now. Nobody said anything to me, so I grab my bass. I go upstairs. I'm standing on the side of the stage. Thank God that the bass tech was a friend of mine, and and he knew I was supposed to be playing. I look up on the stage, and and Jimmy Bain is playing. He he jumped in my spot and took it. <laughs> right, so so the the bass tech guy turns around, he looks at me, and he looks up at Jimmy. He goes, "Wait, he goes, you're supposed to be up there right now." Yeah. I said, "Duh, no kidding." <laughs> so he goes, he goes, "He goes, wait a minute, wait a minute." As soon as the song ended, the lights went down. Sam's talking to the audience. He grabs Jimmy by the shoulders, pulls him off the stage, puts him down on the floor, unplugs his bass, plugs my bass in, pushes me up on the stage. He goes, "Go like that." <laughs> And there's, and there's Jimmy Bain on the, Jimmy Bain's down there on the floor going, and he's, he's drunk off his face, going, "What's going on, man? What happened? What's the what? what why am I not on the stage? You know, like that." And, <laughs> Holy yeah. shit! Sammy looks over at me. He goes, "Ready?" And I went, "Yeah." And we launch into Wild Thing. This is when I say it's a pinch me moment. Uh, 
not only am I on stage with Sam Kennison, which is a wow factor, sure. you know, like that, uh, over from, from Randy's side of the stage, from stage right all the way over towards me on stage left, you ready? You're sitting down. You got uh, little Steven Van Zant on guitar. Oh, wow. Jean Beauvoir on another guitar. Wow. Okay. Right. Wow. Uh, Randy Castillo on drums. Mm. You know, from, from Ozzy. Yeah. Yeah. And and I don't remember the keyboard player's name. It's Robin something. And and over on, on the other side of the stage, a very inebriated John Goodman on blues harp. <laughs> so Wild Thing Wild Thing was a little longer than normal. Yeah, the, the twenty but, minute version, right? But yeah, and I'm and I'm on the stage with all of these freaking legends going, This can't be happening. And it it, it it was a hallmark, you know. I was like, I can't believe it. And I don't have one not one picture. No, really? It, you know, isn't, wow. isn't it such a shame that before we all had iPhones or you know uh, smartphones, how many times we could have taken pictures and you, you look back, I, I know I do. If I had a cell phone back in 1983, I'd have the most awesome pictures. But make, no, make no mistake. There were cameras in the room. It looked yeah. like it looked like a night sky full of rhinestones. It was that many right. cameras going off. Wow. Right. And I don't have picture one from anybody. Not, who took, took Now one person pictures. gave you a picture. That sucks. I got a picture of me right. sitting downstairs in the green room. And he's got, you know, he's got his head, his bandana on. And he's got his arm around me. That's the yeah. only picture I have. So, wow. What are you going to say, Rob? The, the, the most iconic person, I'm in Arlene Grocery one day, hanging out, watching bands. And David Bowie stands right next to me. I go, my God, that looks like David Bowie. And my buddy goes to me, that is David Bowie. And I'm like, yeah. oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> if I yeah. had a camera, I could have taken a quick picture with David Bowie. He was, yeah, that would have been amazing. Like, it was pretty. It was amazing to just. Dick. And the guy wasn't even that tall, but it was just like, it's David Bowie. <laughs> it they, call so those, they call those uh, brushes with greatness. Yes. Yeah, it was incredible. I thought I was going to get to meet Bowie. When I was in the Martian rock band, because, you know, the whole Ziggy thing was still huge. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Wow. You know, and, right. and uh, the guy that took our pictures for, for uh, um, Rock Scene magazine was Lee Black Childers. Ah. So Lee, heart, wor yeah. Lee, worked, Lee worked for Main Man, for Bowie. Right, right. Yeah. He, yeah. He, was, he was behind the Wayne wow. County signing. Exactly, and all. exactly. Yeah. And, and Lee loved us. You know, he said, I got to sure. get David to come see you guys. You know, but it unfortunately never materialized, so. But they loved, you, they loved the whole Ziggy thing we did. Were you friends? But I wasn't really like close friends with uh, these guys. They have they have a different uh, mental outlook than what I had. I was still young, kind of. Yeah. You know, I was like you know going down the rabbit hole, but I knew enough to stay away from people who did heroin. Yeah. Well. And I didn't have that. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. That was there a whole was, different scene. There was a whole heroin mentality. To, to some of the players that I didn't want to get involved with or you know, yeah. like, like that. So, I mean, I was friends with Neon Leon, mm -hmm. you know, and he was living Neon at the Neon Chelsea Leon. Hotel. Uh, our first show with, with my debut, professional debut at Max's, we opened, supported uh, Neon Leon's band, and he let me play through one of his Marshall stacks. Oh, okay. Wow. So, so, you know. Is that and, on and, Halloween? Did you do the uh, debut on a Halloween show? Yeah, I think it, yeah, it was a it was, uh, it was October, like, 30. Hasn't been thirtieth, I think, uh, mm -hmm. uh, at Max's. Yeah, 
But wait, so you, you were talking in an interview. You were saying that you gave you a Halloween. I say that's fucking awesome, man. That's meant yeah. to be where you're like a guy like that, and you say debuting uh, Maxis on Halloween, and I was like, wow, that's pretty cool. Uh, let me ask you another. Do you ever play in CBGB? Since you did play in Maxis, was there a difference between the Maxis and CBGB crews? Huge, huge difference, especially sure. in the way the, the whole the, the whole clubs were shaped like that. And of course, yeah. there's the famous Max's story of you know because they don't have a, a bathroom that you can go like, for the bands. You know, it's like out in the open. There's no privacy, right? And and uh, there's a famous, a funny story when when ACDC played there in uh, like '76 or '77 when they first came out. Yeah, uh, I played that was a surprise show. I think I played CBGBs before ACDC. Imagine that. <laughs> uh, but the, but the, the record people were going trying to get backstage to, to meet them, and they saw all these little, you know, five, four and a half, five foot tall guys with yeah. a bunch of kids. And then what? And Bon Scott was standing there. They were all blocking him. So he was trying to pee into a can because there was like no, no functioning, no private, no yeah. private place to go. Well, you know, CBGBs was legendary for that. You know, um, yeah, we played actually. That ACDC show you're talking about, I think, was uh, it was a surprise show. Yeah, and and it, and yeah. and uh, Bon Scott carried Angus around through the crowd on his shoulders. Yes, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> we played. Uh, it's just new, cracking we, me up. We did a yeah, we did a big New Year's Eve show there. It was like six, seven, eight, nine bands or something like that. Wow. So that was that was pretty interesting. I mean, not only was the club packed, but the, the whole backstage area if you can call it that that was packed so it was like you're pretty much shoulder to shoulder the whole night you know what was your uh your friendship with the ramones like were you friends with joey or who, who were you more friends with yeah i i knew joey had come out of a glitter band called uh sniper right. sniper right. Yeah. right so so he made the transition from being a glam guy to being you know joey ramone uh i knew i knew I'm dd uh i bumped it i Past Johnny once in a while at, at Max's, but it was just like a quick hi, but not like hi, how you doing? Hi, yeah. Uh, so I, I mostly just do, knew Dee Dee because we we're both bass players, sure, like that, and and uh, and Joey. So you know, and we, if you go into Max's back then, you know, it was it was it doesn't matter what night of the week it was, it was shoulder to shoulder, it was packed. Yeah, you know, so you got to like kind of negotiate, swim through the crowd, and you you're gonna pass somebody you know, and, and you got to say hi and like that. The only place you had room to breathe was over by the table, so you could sit down and, and get something to eat. You had to have money to do that. Not everybody had money to go sit down. Sure. Uh, everybody talks about that, not having money to be able to sit because there were people that would just order water. There was a one band that we talked to that we were talking that were hanging out there, but they were ordering water and stuff like that. Well, everybody would eat the chickpeas that were out on the table. Yeah. The chickpeas. Well, they would they would throw them. They would have. Yeah, you have chickpea, chickpea fights. Yeah. <laughs> I'd uh, heard about that. There's there's my, my uh, Ace Fraley Rick Rivet story that took place at Max's. I don't know if you know that. Tell me. Tell uh, us. Well, when you go into Max's, you, you can go straight up the stairs. goes up to the dressing rooms. And you, you kind of like take a right. And, and P, P, uh, Peter's offices were back there uh, like that and, and whatnot. So uh, whenever, whenever Ace was in town, he would call up Rick and say, come on, let's go. They were hanging out buddies. Yeah, they were friends. Right. So, um, Ace had Ace had one of these. It wasn't like a laminate. It was a little a plastic laminated card that said, "My name is Ace Fraley from the band Kiss. If found, please mail to." And it would have like you know a coin management like that, and and, and uh, 
uh, you know, contact information to send it to. So they're up at the top of the stairs. Ace is three sheets to the wind, as usual. Yeah. And you can hear that, that, that hysterical laugh anywhere. Right, okay? right. And he cracked these jokes, and he cracked himself up and laughed and bust up laughing. Yeah. So he backed himself up. You know, they had those, uh, I don't know if they were like 50-gallon plastic trash cans that they'd, you know, when they throw out the, the bags of trash. Uh-huh. They had a couple of cans sitting there. So uh, there's a scene in the, in, the, in the Laurel and Hardy film, March of the Wooden Soldiers, where Sandy Claus is laughing so hard, he falls backwards into yes. a, and he can't get up. Yeah. He's like he falls into a bucket. I remember. <laughs> Ace, Ace backed up. He fell backwards, ass first, into this can. <laughs> now wow. you got you got Ace's head and his arms sticking up like this, and his feet <laughs> like this sticking out of the barrel, and his ass is, and he can't get out. He can't get out. He's like a hermit crab. He's stuck in there. <laughs> <laughs> and, and just like just like Dudley Moore and Arthur. The fact that you find what has happened to you is so funny, it perpetuates you keep laughing. Yeah. It's like, look, look, Bitterman, I fell down. Isn't that the funniest thing you ever seen? Ace is like, look, I fell in the can. Isn't that hysterical? <laughs> and, and Rick Rivers is there, and every, everybody was laughing. It was just drawing a crowd up the stairs. Me and Rick, and I don't know who else, we tried trying to lift Ace and get him out of the can. Yeah. And he, he's stuck. He's wedged in there. Right. And the, only, the only way to get him out is, you got to turn him face down or lift the can up off his ass. That's the only way to do it. And now he's, he's laying on the floor with his drink and he's rolling all over the place laughing. That's that's it's too bad Rick passed away because he, I'd love to have him validate that story. Uh, uh, you know, I think he did tell me that story a little, a little less detailed than you just did. But I mean, it, he did mention that story as Ace falling into the into the uh, garbage <laughs> pail. But yeah. he told me some other stories about Ace that I don't even want to. I'll tell you privately that just stuff that never made any any books or anything like that. Uh, they were you know they were buddies for a while, you know. Yeah, yeah. Cool. But um, let's change gears a little bit. Um, we're gonna flash forward a couple of years, exactly. Okay. And uh, I know you've you've talked about this ad nauseum for many years, but let's talk about the about Wasp and how you ended up out there in California. I know you 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 were with a band called um, Aggressor, and yeah. you got a call from Blackie Lawless. What went down with that? <coughs> well, I had been playing before, just before Aggressor. I was playing for about a year and a half with uh, e, the E Walker Band, oh. and, and they were they were like you know all the all our, the bands in the Jersey club circuit, Long Island. We were like live jukeboxes essentially. You know, yeah. your, your job is to keep people in the bar and drinking. So. Like that. And wow. and I, saw, I was playing six nights a week, four or five sets a night, uh, the whole Jersey circuit, uh, uh, in upstate New York, uh, Middletown, Orangeburg pub, like that. So um, I did that for about a year and a half. Uh, we went up to Canada for a week as an original act called Spitfire. Uh, we were booked up there by the agency, which is like the biggest booking agency in Canada. We had our Brian Adams, Rush, everybody, all the big bands, Saga. Right. Uh, so we did that for about a week. We played five clubs. We came back. Um, I'm not. I'm not a 420 pothead guy. Never was. So the other guys in the band, they're all potheads. So I never bonded with them on that level, you know. So I was kind of always the outsider, uh, like yeah. that. Even though when I joined E Walker, it it, it did significantly increase their their following because I was like the new guy, the new face, like that, you know. 
So after about uh, after we I come back from Canada, things things started to get a little weird. Uh, there was, you know, uh, these guys have a, have a, a, a habit. Like I came in and replaced their bass player. Well, they, E. Walker was a band that constantly. They went through like uh, I can't tell you how many seven, eight, nine, ten bass players. You know, wow. it's, it's just this bands rotate like like the like the Hollywood bands. They rotate, rotate, rotate. Yeah. So so um, the girl I was going out with uh, uh, at the time, she became friends with this other girl she met at the club, who's who had a boyfriend who was a guitar player. Uh, that would be David Ferrara, and David Ferrara was one of the guitar players. The first time I heard about about uh, Shrapnel, David Ferrara was one of the, uh, the the guitar players that were being showcased on Mike Varney's U.S. Metal series. Yes. Okay. Uh, uh, and on Shrapnel Records, and and he had one of his songs uh, in there. Uh, I, it was called Gresser, or or if it was uh, I can't, it's on the tip of my tongue. I can't remember, uh, but. They got to two girls got to talking, introduced me and David. David and I, you know, uh, he was a real, real smart ass like me. Uh, but <laughs> we're, both, we're both Capricorns, so we kind of got along on that level, you know. Uh, we 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 tossed the idea about, you know, about putting a band together, and and so we would we were doing like all the heavier stuff of of the top forty. So we were doing like Scorpions and Rush, uh, Iron Maiden, uh, Van Halen. Wow. You know, all all all, all Saxon, all the real heavy stuff like that Sabbath, like yeah. that. And and uh, so we we formed this band, Aggressor. Uh, we had a seventeen-year-old drummer. I don't know how we got him into clubs like that. And and we started we started to put a dent in E. Walker's following because everybody found out I left E. Walker now, so now they're coming over to see us, right? Like that. And and it was doing pretty good. Now during this time, during the day, one again the day job. Uh, uh, back down in, in the village uh these guys come in they were vacationing from california uh and they were th they came to new york to see twisted sister playing at some festival oh wow. so twisted i said sister. i said well I'm, I'm i'm friends with some of the guys in twisted sister and like no really wow you know and we got to talking about kiss and i said well i told them the story about how i'm friends with the guys in kiss so it's it's like you could amaze these guys just by saying you were personal friends with the actual band that they uh, idolized you know, he might as well have been talking to one of the members themselves. Sure. And and, he, and the guy goes, well, you kind of look like Punky Meadows. At this point, I did, you know. Punky and, Meadows from from Angel. Right, right. Yeah, so, okay. Punky, the exact same hairstyle. Oh, okay, gotcha. Wow. <laughs> so uh, these guys go, what do you do? I said, well, I'm a bass player. And, and they, they asked me for a picture, and I showed them, uh, you know, when I was playing with E. Walker, here's a live shot. And they said, well, we know a band in California you would be perfect for. You kind of look a little like this guy. Had I known they were talking about Lawless, I would have disagreed with them. But because uh, Lawless and I look nothing alike. But uh, they said, well, when we go back to California, give us a picture and, and a phone number and, and we'll tell them about you. I said, okay. Wow. And I, like, like, look, I could never imagine myself in a million years going to up, up out of New York and go fly to California to audition for a band. It's funny how things happen. But you, yeah. so you're saying they, you're saying they knew Blackie. They were they were fans of of Blackie from but he had done gigs already in in California. As they, they, uh, what sister and the other stuff that he sister and London, you know. They, okay. They, yeah, yeah, yeah. These were these were like kids that would go out to the Starwood and 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 you know the Troubadour and you know whatever whatever the hot bands were. Playing. Right. So um, so uh, I thought that was the end of it. You know, I never were going to see him again. And I'm playing. You know, I'm going out playing, playing with aggressor at the clubs on on, on the weekends, 
And then uh, I get a phone call. Well, look, my next door neighbor had the phone. My, my phone was shut off. So yes. so they call me, and I come next door, and it's, and it's this guy, Blackie Lawless. And he says, uh, he's, yeah, the, I, the, the kids came, they, they, they went to visit uh, New York. Uh, they came down to the studio, and they gave me your picture and the phone number. And, and they said, I should check you out, that I would, you would be perfect for, for my band. And wow. I said, oh, okay, and I'm like that. And, and, you know, we just had conversations, like 20 minutes in a clip, to half an hour in a clip, you know. Uh, he's trying to convince me to come out to California. He says, you got a great look, like that. And I said, yeah, but, you know, I, I live here. I, I, you know, that's the whole thing, to just up and come down to California just on, yeah. on a, on a poss possibility like that. You know, he says, well, we'll pay your flight out. If it, do it works, you're great. If it doesn't work, we'll fly you back. Little did I know Blackie was broke. Brocky was broke. I don't know where he'd get his money from, you know. So uh, uh, we, we made an arrangement and and uh, and uh, flew me out to California. Uh, I can't stay long story short because that's too late already. Uh, <laughs> so, but they, 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 they flew me out to California. Uh, it was February 4th, 1982. And, well, and uh, 40 years already. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I get off the plane and there's Blackie in the terminal with with Randy and and uh, Tony, mm -hmm. and this other guy Mike Solon. Well, Mike Solon was the guy who was like he's. The, I don't want to say he's Blackie's assistant, but Blackie's car wasn't working, so whenever Blackie needed a ride, Mike would come pick him up. Okay. Now, Mike Solon, for your trivia people, is the guy who plays the bartender in the Wasp video, Blind in Texas. Okay, I know who he is. Okay. Blackie goes yeah. up. We got a gig, and he goes, "What's a gig? What's a gig? Yeah, 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 yeah." Yeah. yeah. So that's, that's Mike Sol. Now, Mike Solon, his brother Eddie, was Ace Frehley's guitar tech and, and one of the first sound men for Kiss. Wow! Oh, wow! You see, see how he connected dots? Yeah. yeah. Wow! Yeah. Small world, man. That's amazing. Yeah. That's so, amazing. so Mike, Mike was there. He came. Uh, uh, Randy and Tony took my gear to Randy's studio in Anaheim. And Mike drove me and Blackie. I back up to Blackie's house in Hollywood, and uh, it was it was you know a day or so to get rid of the the jet lag and whatnot. But uh, Blackie took me out to the Troubadour, and and uh, I met David Lee Roth. I met Kevin DeBro. Uh, right. Kevin Kevin was nice. He warned me about you know how backstabbing the LA scene can be. He was the first one to do that, right. uh, like that. And then we hung out at the Troubadour for for an hour or two, and then Blackie said, "Let's go up to the Rainbow." I'm seeing all these places for the first time. I walk into the Rainbow, and this is like where Zeppelin used to hang out. It was like the the club for rock stars in, in Hollywood. Yeah. You know, and and uh, so we go into Rainbow, and there's Punky Meadows standing there. Wow. Okay. <laughs> what are you doing out here? I said I came out to audition <laughs> for Blackie's band. So he goes, "All right, you know, congratulations." Michael Diamond was there from from Legs Diamond, mm -hmm. uh, like that, and and uh, so you know we get a table, we sit down. I'm watching people I haven't seen this before. Come on, us New Yorkers, we don't eat. We eat pizza with our hand. Yeah. These yeah, people are putting their, eating pizza with a knife and a fork. Oh, man. Well. So I'm busting what? up. Yeah. We just, we just had a, we had eight years of a mayor that did that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. De Blasio did that. De Blasio. Yeah. <laughs> so, so who comes walking over, sits down at the table with us, David friggin' Lee Roth. I'm like, pinch oh. me. I just saw this guy at the Palladium like a, a year before, two years before. Yeah. You know, when Van Halen played the Palladium. And there's David Lee Rhodes sitting at the table with me and Blackie. I was like, Jesus. You know, people dream of this stuff, you know, and, and like that. So uh, a couple of days go by. I didn't audition until actually uh, February 6th. Okay. okay. I arrived wow. on the 4th. 
So February 6th, we go down to Brandy's studio. Uh, I didn't really have, he said, Blackie had sent me a demo tape with songs on it, but it was nothing that I had to learn to, to audition with them. Okay. So, so right. they didn't have all that. They didn't have all of those songs on tape yet. So uh, I sat there and they ran through the set twice. It was like five songs. Yeah. Uh, on your knees. Uh, 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 what the hell is it? Uh, uh, school days, BAD, sleeping in the fire. And, uh, um, what the hell is it? Uh, uh, Hellion. Hellion, yeah. So they ran through those five songs, and he goes, all right, come on up. Now's the moment of truth. I get up, and, and I, I play along with them. You know, I, I, I pretty much got the patterns figured out. This is not rocket science. This is three-chord three, three chord rock stuff. It's yeah. Really easy. Yeah. But I, 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 you know, from a background of playing, you know, cover bands, I, I got developed a melodic bass style because I had to cover different bass players, <laughs> you know. And and Blackie's going. Can you can you play simpler? Can you play simpler? I'm like this. It's three chords. How much simpler can how I be? How much more? Right. How much more simple? He goes. Well, just play quarter notes. Just play eighth notes, like that. You know, because in California at that time, in the seventies, you had guitar players, and bass players, would play the same line together. Yeah. You know, Felix Papillardi and and, and Leslie West played the same guitar lines together. Right. Like that. And and now in California, the guitar plays the pattern, and the bass just keeps along underneath that. You know, it just keeps yeah. the, 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 the the you know the rumble under it. Like the rumble that. underneath. Yeah, I got you. Yeah. So now I gotta like dumb it down a little bit and play super simple. And you know, it, it, the audition went okay. They still couldn't make up their mind. They liked what they heard. They said, "Let's give it another shot." So uh, when we went back again down there on on uh, February eighth. And I went through the set again. I, I had the stuff down. I mean, it wasn't that that difficult. And and Blackie turns around. and goes, "All right, you got the gig." So that's that was it. That's how I, I got the, the gig. And it, but they yeah. were called Sister. They weren't called Wasp yet. Right, right, right. Wow. You know, they had a they had a, a, a pentagram on a t shirt, a, a upside down pentagram with the word Sister, but it was all lowercase and it was like on fire. That was that was their their logo. Yeah. But Blackie not, told me he says he goes, There's too many bands with the name Sister in it. You got Twisted Sister, you got White Sister. He goes, We we need a we need a new name, a new theme, we need to do everything. This is gonna be like a whole brand new band. You know, and that's when, when it led to me being on the phone outside his house. Uh and I stepped on the leaf with the with the hornet under it and I, I turned it over and I saw the you know the the, the wasp. Yeah. yeah. And I go in the house wow. and he's watching, he's watching the Yankee game. I said, Blackie, I got an idea for the for the band name. And he goes, looks up at me, he goes, what? And I said, Wasp. I said, I just stepped on one outside. I said, remember the Green Hornet logo? Looks like it's curled and it got the stinger. You yeah. Know, and, 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 oh, and, shit. And it would make that optic pad. Like, right, 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 right. You know, and I told him about that. And he's looking at the ceiling and he's thinking, he's thinking, he goes, that's a good idea. He goes, keep thinking like that. And, and the next time we went down to rehearsal, we rehearsed the whole night. And then we had a band meeting afterwards. Blackie gets us all together. Uh, uh, they're outside of Randy's office. He goes, "We got a new name for the band." And Randy goes, well, "What's that?" And he goes, uh, "Wasp." And that's when Tony goes, "Wasp? Who names a band after a bug?" You know, and I, I said, "The Beatles." You know, Scorpions. Yeah. Scorpions. Yeah, yeah, I mean, like, how hard is that? <laughs> and Blackie goes, "That's it. That's the name of the band. It's going to be Wasp." But and it had no. There were no. There were no periods between the. No. No. It was just Wasp. He did that later after he kicked me out. So he yeah. thought I would try and sue them. Right, right. Yeah. I'd heard that. I'd heard that, that. That's why he added the periods. Yeah. Oh. So. And they then they tried to say it was stood for something else, but 
you know. Well, he couldn't come out and honestly say it without admitting that I was in the band. And that's the thing. Right. He doesn't want to admit that I was in the band. He censors that. Yes. So so when people ask him, what does Wasp stand for? When he said in the interview, we ain't sure, pal. He, that's He's telling the truth there. Because <laughs> we ain't sure, pal. Yeah. But, uh, sure, you know, in, in retrospect, in retrospect, it, it's come to mean we're all side players. <laughs> okay. Wow. When, they, when, when Full and Bloom interviewed Randy Piper, they brought that up and he, he laughed. He goes, well, that's not what it was then, but that's what it wound up being. We're all side players. Yeah, what it became. Wow. wow. Damn. But so you were with them for a few months, right? Four months. Four months. And how did it end? I mean, what did they uh, say to you? Well, at early on, you know, Blocky was real happy with the way it was turning out. And then yeah. uh, he said, uh, we're going to we're going to do a recording. We're going to make a demo. I said, OK, fine. So he got a, an old reel to reel. He said we he, he were recording this live three track. I never heard of being recorded live three track before, but that's what we did. Uh -huh. You know, and and he set the recorder in the middle of the room. It's a huge room. Set it in the, in the uh, and and hit record, run back, and he'd have his guitar plugged in, and he just count it off and, and like that and play. So we did we did the five songs that I auditioned on. And at that point, I was already co-writing with him. We had a song called "Master of Disaster," <laughs> and that's the sixth song on the demo. It was the last song on the demo. Like that. And then um, to this day, some people feel that because Blackie doesn't throw away any any ideas. Some people seem to think that Master Disaster was cut up and, and surgically turned into Wild Child because the, the similarities are, are very close to each other. OK. And okay. the song structure like yeah. that. So uh, so we, we recorded the demo. Blackie was real happy, told me he was real happy with it. And then uh, he, he called up a guy, a photographer uh, uh, from that, that uh, area, uh, Don, Don Atkins Jr. Don yeah. shot Motley Crue. Don shot like all the bands that you know, play there. Uh, right. so he called Don up. Don had us come over to his uh, parents' house. I think it was like Torrance or Downey or something. Torrance, I think. Then we did a photo session at, at Don's parents' house. That's all the famous the, the pictures you see of me and the band. Yeah. And, and, you know, if you look at the pictures, it looks like, to me, a hammer saw nails milk. It's like, what doesn't fit? You got mm. these three guys that look like convicts, and you got this like the pretty boy. Yeah, you know, and it's like, okay, something's something, something doesn't gel. Yeah, you know, like that. But uh, so it was that way for four months, and then one day Blackie just comes up. You know, he's not talking to me. He's like being distant. You know, it's like I thought something's on his mind. You know, something's bugging him. Yeah, he didn't want to talk to me. So uh, finally, it's like he sits down and goes, look, we got to talk. I, I never heard that saying before. That was the first time I, I was introduced to it. Listen, we got to talk. Mm. And he says, it's not working out because Randy's not happy. Tony's not happy. And, and I can't have that. So you're, you're going to have to leave the band. Uh, you, you, you can't stay here. You can have to. You want to stay in California? I would advise you to stay in California if you want to make it. But you can't stay here. So you're out of the band. Wow. And And the kicker is. You want to surrender all your copies of the band photos. Wow. I was like, why? He goes, it's my band. They're my pictures. I, like, I can't even, I can't even have any record of fact that I was with this, but no. So when he wasn't around, I found the negatives. I went up to sunset Boulevard. I had a bunch of pictures printed. When I came back, he found out the negatives were missing. He went ballistic yelling and screaming at me. Yeah. 
And and I luckily this time I tucked a few of the pictures away. He goes, give me everything you just had printed. And I had to give him those pictures. But the other stuff, like I said, I tucked away secretly. So uh, he doesn't, he didn't, that's intent. He doesn't want anybody me to be able to prove that I've had any connection to the band. That's, that's terrible. And he just kicks oh, me out wow, of the band just like that. Wow. You know? Well, I mean, the live shows with you from all indications, what I've heard, you guys were doing pretty good. I never played live at Wasp. You didn't play live at Wasp? Okay. My mistake. I just, I just okay. rehearsed for four months. They, they never did a live show with you? No. Okay. So okay. After, after me, uh, he brought Donnie, Don Costa in. Oh. Now, Don, Don, at first, I found, come to find out later, he had already pitched Don to play in the band before me, and Don kept turning him down. Don, Don didn't want to have anything to do with Blackie. Blackie had a reputation. A lot of people didn't want to have anything to do with him. And uh, um, before I joined, their drummer was Gary Holland. T Tony was already Tony was in Dante Fox with Jack Russell and, and, and Mark. Okay. But Dante Fox changed their name to Great White. Uh -huh. And they, they, both bands swapped drummers. Swapped drummers. Yeah, Gary left Sister and joined Great White, and Tony left Great White and joined Sister. See? So there was, there was wow. a lot of people who didn't want to play with Blackie, and, and Donnie was one of them. But he finally convinced them because they, they had some gigs coming up or something. So uh, Don came in and did a couple of one or two shows with him. Upstage Blackie, used the cheese grater, made his knuckles bleed, and, <laughs> and, and Blackie kicked him out. Like that. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And, and then you know, Donnie, Donnie went on to play with uh, Ozzy Osbourne, and, and he upstaged Ozzy. And Ozzy turned around and punched him in the mouth, kicked him out of the band. Damn. So, there's that. Damn. You know, it's almost like uh, he's just trying to write you out of the whole history of the band. Exactly. You know, um, yeah. His, you know, his fans, I'm telling you, I'm, I'm, I'm here to tell you, his fans are, are like absolutely off the map insane. They hate me. Hmm. You know, I've never seen anything like this in, in, in anything, not, not just rock and roll, but, but in the film industry, any kind of form of, of entertainment industry or media, I've never seen such hatred by fans. Wow. Towards me now, not all of them. Uh, um, I I got interviewed for a book called "Wasp: A Sting in the Tail." Yes, by Darren Upton over in the Darren Upton, right, right. And Darren said, "You represent a very important missing puzzle piece in the history of early Wasp." Blackie doesn't want that out because it it dis discounts his version. He starts the band with Chris with Chris Holmes. Yeah. Oh, that's not true. He he doesn't, you know, he, he but everybody me. knows this. I mean, it's yeah, yeah go figure. Everybody already yeah. knows this, but yet he still he still stands by the fact that I was never in the band. He's in denial, that's why. And yes. you know, I go I, I'm I'm on I'm a member of Darren's Facebook page, you know, Wasp Sting and Tail. And there's a few fans in there that back me up. You know, he says there's some fans that, that agree with you and, and they believe you. They've seen the pictures, they've heard the demo, they believe it's true, they they've seen Rand. Randy Piper's got an interview with Full and Blue where he says they ask him, was Rick in the band? Yeah. Yes, he was. Did Rick come yes. up with the name? Yes, he did. Like that. And and these fans just still they don't agree to it. They they push it aside, they bury it like that. And and he goes, well, is, they're like, where's is, your gold, where's your gold records? Where's your tour? I, I didn't get that far. Yeah. You know? But but history is full of rock bands with members who leave before the band gets big. <laughs> yeah. Well, oh, look at look at you know, I'll bring it up again, Rick Rivets. Okay, written written out of the New York Dolls history, right? 
Okay. Right. I won't go into all that too much, but, and you had it way worse with, with Wasp, but, but definitely Rick Rivets was there, started the yeah. band. Yep. Okay. Played one gig with Johansson on, on lead vocals because originally it was Thunder singing. Okay. Yeah. Johansson comes in, they do one gig like that before Sylvain is in the band. Yep. And it, you know, it, it wasn't going to work because Johansson and, and Rivets didn't get along. Okay. Ah, okay. And yeah. There's, yeah. there's some other things too, but, but he had the brats in his sights then anyway. Okay. Yeah. 